Welcome to the Faith and Grief Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and grief. I'm your host, Shelley Craig, Program Director here at Faith and Grief. We hope the conversations and interviews you hear offer you some comfort and hope on your grief journey. Faith and Grief is a nonprofit that provides grief support programs online and partners with local organizations to offer our programs for their community. We offer monthly drop-in grief support gatherings, grief workshops, and getaway weekend retreats. Find out more about all our programs and this podcast at faithandgrief.org. It's so cool because you have a new book. I do. I'm excited. It released on April 18th. 2023. And um, I was fortunate enough to be a part of the first book. And the second book, uh, it's really taken off because it's a whole, uh, almost a different direction. Because the first book was a memoir. And this one, you definitely pull in stories. But you also offer practical practices, spiritual practices that folks can use. So what inspired you to write this book? This book actually uh, received an email from a woman named Valerie from Broadleaf Publishing. She said she was an acquisitions editor. I'd never heard of that kind of job before. That sounds like a cool job. I like that. I know. You know, I grew up thinking you were either a a nurse or a teacher. Um, So she asked if I would be interested in writing a book about grief. So I responded, I would. I'd like to do it about the spirituality of grief. I'm a spiritual director. I have a firm belief that the Holy Spirit stirs the comfort and strength and gives us that. So I wanted to include spiritual practices in the group. And she said, well, we'll think about that. Um, You know, send us a working title, an outline of 10 chapters, and, um, you know, a rough draft of the first chapter. Mm Mm-hmm. So I did that. I think uh, as a spiritual director, questions are very important. Mm. And so each chapter is a question. Yeah, I liked how you structured the book with those questions. Because I think in grief, uh, at least for the folks that we work with at Faith and Grief, so many times that's what people are really struggling with, the questions that they have about their own grief, about um, where their loved one is, What's the next step? What am I supposed to do next? Um, and sometimes it's just simply, how do I get out of bed? Um, it can be all those things. And those questions sometimes are the things that I think that people hold on to. And when they say they're stuck, it's because those questions are just there hanging out. And there's not a way for them to work through some of those. But that's where a spiritual practice can be so supportive, is that it can help you work on some of the questions. You may not get a complete answer, but, but you may as, start to form right. something, yeah. And as you learn, you maybe ask a different question. Yeah. And I think that's because I think questions are what move us along rather than facts. Yeah, yeah. So you picked several different um, spiritual practices for people to explore. What are some of the ones that you have used as you've been grieving? Um Truly, I didn't know about breath prayers until around 2010 or 2011 when I began my uh, official training to be a spiritual director. 
And to this day, I don't know how I, I existed without them. Um, literally last night, uh, you wake up in the middle of the night, can't go back to sleep, and I do breath prayers. Um, you focus on that rather than all the worries and anxieties in your life, and you put that breath to uh, a prayer, breathing yeah. in. Many people uh, may have read the uh, New York Times article several months back about um, using the tools that the military trains um, soldiers to use to go back to sleep and or to uh, find rest in a, you know, war zone. Um, very similar to a breath prayer. Um, because the number one thing is finding your breath and where that is. And in the midst of grief or trauma, um, we kind of forget that we can breathe. Right. And I share in the story, my uncle was in his mid-50s when he suddenly died. And my grandmother, his mom, shared that she was never able to take a deep breath after Rudy's death. And then there is a lot of... Um, medical, psychological understanding. And I just recently heard um, that one of the things you'll think about children who squat all the time mm -hmm. and you watch them playing yeah. and that really we all need to keep squatting. Squatting is really important. Right, um, because when we take a deep breath when we're squatting, the breath actually goes down into the organs rather than stays in the top part of our lungs. Yeah. So um, I've tried. I'm doing that a little bit, but I need to be by something so I can get up. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, squatting, I think that's something we need to teach folks when they're young is to never stop squatting. Right. Uh, because once you stop, then it's really hard to do it again because our bodies just get I don't know, the equilibrium gets messed up. But um, in your book, you you highlight the breath prayer. And um, some people will call it a breath meditation because that's what the words that they It was affirming with. to me yesterday. I had a gentleman walk up to me and look at me and say, creator of life and love, comfort me and strengthen me. And I knew he was reading my book. <laughs> and that was the breath prayer that I recommended in the first chapter. And tears welled up in his eyes when he said that. And I said, I will breathe that prayer with you. Mm. And that's another powerful thing with the breath prayer is you can do it solo. You can pray for yourself, but you can also do it in tandem with others. And it's just as powerful together as it is solo. Um, it is. I mean, you know, I've talked before I have these alphabet prayers. So oftentimes I'll just breathe in, you know, gracious and merciful God, remember Alice, who is my sister. And then I go down the alphabet. And when I get to Kaya, one of my granddaughters, I usually go to sleep. And so my sister has commented, I'm really glad my name's not Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. As someone who grew up with a last, my maiden last name was a W. Yes, and you're. And so it was always at the end. I was always in the back of the class, you know. And so when I got married and I moved that up to a C, I thought this is awesome. Yeah, you're, I mean, you didn't tell Neil that. That's why you decided to marry. But <laughs> it was actually a deciding factor. Um, but yeah, no. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting when we are mindful about our prayers. Um, and I teach this when I used to uh, work with kids in children's ministry. I used to tell them all the time that it's really hard to hear God talking when you're talking. And so when we get quiet enough to hear our own breath, 
to me that gives us the opportunity to connect with what's what's holy, what's sacred in the world. And it's a reminder uh, that I use in the book that we're not human beings in a spiritual world, but we're spiritual beings in a human body. So when we inhale and breathe, take in that spirit, that breath, we're reminded um, that we are spiritual beings. Yeah, and as we, uh, and you talk about in the book, but we also talk about in our workshops, I mean, our breath is really the first gift we're given, you know. Uh, for I remember when my kids were born, the thing I was waiting for, and I know there's plenty of people out there that did the same thing, is waiting for that first scream or holler because we know they're breathing. Breathing. And I know even in when Bob, my husband, died in 2018, I remember thinking he exhaled into eternal life. Mm. And um, a friend of mine quips often, Fran, you just know how to reframe things. Um, and possibly that's a coping tool I have. But to have that image of Bob exhaling into eternal life was a measure of comfort and calm for me, especially after his ordeal with Alzheimer's and vascular dementia. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's just such a, like they said, it's a beautiful reframing of someone's last breath rather than it just being a last breath it's exhaling into eternity and I don't know about y'all but uh an exhale always feels better sometimes than an inhale. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like I don't exhale enough like I get it all out and, and I kind of laugh and I think I think that's probably a reflection and a commentary on my own life that maybe I'm taking too much in <laughs> <laughs> well but but it, it is when we're being conscious of our breath and as we're breathing in and holding it and letting it all the way out we don't do that on a daily basis you know most of us breathe very shallow because we're in a stressful go 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 uh, busy 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 and we don't have time to take that so when we do it we don't really realize how much our lungs can take in um, true and for me somebody who has asthma um, I always love it. I think that's probably why I don't like inhales is because inhale means I'm probably going to cough where an exhale just means I'm going to let it out. But so, you know, it's it's just weird how it is that way. Well, um, you mentioned at the beginning that you are a spiritual director. For folks who don't know what spiritual direction is as both a profession and a, and a vocation, I would call it, give a fairly good definition of what a spiritual director is and how people can seek that support out. Right. A spiritual director definition is to have a compassionate listener, to be a compassionate listener to individuals, and vow to not attempt to fix them, correct them, straighten them up, or give them advice. There is a space within all of us that if we are able to tell our story and have someone respectfully listen to us without judgment, listen to us with curiosity and compassion, there is an innate ability within us to name our own way out of situations. Mm. And that wisdom is born within us and then culture and circumstances kind of disguises it and to be with a spiritual director allows you to reclaim 
yourself. And there is an organization called Spiritual Directors International that you can log on to and find a spiritual director anywhere near you. And there may be organizations within your own town. And um, to me, it's such a holy moment to be with individuals in that time. It is sacred. It is holy. Well, I think anytime we can take time to listen to friends, family, or kids in an intentional way where we're actually listening as opposed to um, letting them talk, um, because those those are very different things. Well, Um, my younger daughter one time was going through a situation, and she called her older sister and was ranting and raving, and, and my older daughter said, well, have you called mom and she said no all she'll do is listen (laughs) (laughs) so that was a great affirmation that sarah didn't know that she was giving to me but um i do not only vocationally um practice that as best i can but also personally in my personal relationships yeah it's something i've worked on i still work on well, it's a practice. Good. That's why it's called not, a spiritual practice. I know, yeah. but I'm not very good at it. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of the other spiritual practices in the book, um, some of my favorites are in here. Um, the prayer of lament is a special one to me because I've been fortunate enough to lead our faith and grief workshop, both in a retreat format and um, in person and online, all different versions of that. Um, and the prayer of lament, for a lot of people, when, when I ask, do you know what a lament is, most people don't know. And if they do, they've uh, attached it, um, and I just think this is funny, but um, most people, the only time they've ever heard a lament is during Lord of the Rings movie when uh, the uh, uh, elves in the forest are singing a lament for Gandalf. And so I always say, if you if you saw three uh, Lord of the Rings, then you know what a lament is. <laughs> Is. Right. And they go, oh, and I said, well, it's similar in that the book of Psalms, you know, almost half of it are laments. But this practice of lament, how can that be supportive for someone who's grieving? I believe it's supportive because it calls people to be authentic and, and honest. I, um, going back to my grandmother and her experience with the death of her son, I think that she, her theology was such, or her fear was even greater, that to lament um, that God would become angry with her. And my understanding of God and my relationship with God is that God desires for us to be honest. God always already knows our thoughts and our feelings. And for us to come to that point in time and say, yeah, this is this is really how I feel. Um, I was blessed to be in a year-long study with a group of women uh, Bible study, and the whole study was on laments. And so part of that practice that I got, I learned from that because they were sharing that a lament is you have one hand that's open with what your desires and your worldview and how you want everything to be wonderful, and then the other hand is like, what you know? What's happened? The tragedy, the um, unexpected, unbidden situation in which you're in, and then what falls in the middle. Mm. And to uh, to allow to have those two 
So I think it's that that tandem, like what is it that you wish that you had and you how you desire for this world to be? And then what is um, some of the everyday realities of our world? And, and we certainly have that um, in, in our daily life. This is kind of getting off the topic, but I had breakfast the other day with a woman who'd read my book and she'd marked it all up and she said, I have a question for you. So I've given some definitions of grief and bereavement and mourning. And in mourning, I understand it that we make a choice of how we are going to live. And she said, so I'm curious. Is our life a life of mourning? So Interesting. Let's think about that. And I said, I believe, Amy, you're right, that uh, we wake up each and every day in a world full of grief and atrocities, situations out of our control and near to us and miles and miles away. And yet, we mourn because we choose to wake up. We choose to lean into grace and love, and we choose to serve other people. So I felt like I appreciated, um, you know, you never, but I appreciated her posing that question and, and, and for us to think about that together. Yeah, and you, you do that in the book. You give um, some really good definitions, some stories around different types of grief, different experiences that people have had, um, sort of the difference between uh, grieving and mourning, um, though they, for a lot of people, look very similar. Um, a lot of times I give the explanation, and we pull this from our curriculum too, is that grieving is kind of what's going on on the inside and mourning is how we're showing it on the outside. Um, and somewhere in between, there's that space, kind of like you were talking about with lament, that things break down sometimes. Um, but there's a wonderful quote, and I think you quote in the book too, the Bonhoeffer quote um, about how God holds um, a, a space open between us and the people that we love after they die. Right. Because and rather than trying to fill it, God doesn't do that. They, he holds that open. Well, and because I encountered so many people throughout the years in grief where they want closure and... Uh, I remember um, a man who attended our workshop and then our monthly gatherings. And one day he came in and he said, all of a sudden I realized I don't want closure over the death of my wife. In fact, why would I? Why would I want closure on that love that changed my life so much? Mm. So I think Bonhoeffer shows us that we're leaving it open. So my hope for individuals in reading this book is that they'll learn how to carry their grief mm. and be able to um, grow in compassion through their grief for other people in the process and to find ways in which they can continue to live a meaningful life. Mm -hmm. um, and not, I don't want people to find closure. I want them to find a way to carry their grief. Yeah. And I think the, the spiritual practices that you um, write about in the book can be just such a great 
tool belt full of things for folks to find ways to support themselves, um, to find compassion for others, but also to find that compassion for themselves right. as they're going through their grief. Um, as so many times we, whether it's from culture, friends, family, um, we're given these strange rules and regulations for grief and how and when and how long and what it's supposed to be. But sort of like uh, Amy's question about, you know, is life a mourning process? Um, grief is a lifelong process. It's not a one-time, like reading your book is going to be supportive, but once you finish doesn't mean you're going to stop grieving. Right. I appreciated uh, Jeannie Stevens-Messner, who's a professor and has experienced profound uh, grief. She starts off the endorsement that she gave to me is that um, you're not going to find an end to this, to your grief by reading this book, but you will learn how to carry yeah. it differently. Yeah. So it's not, and so I want people to know that. Um, and, and going back to Ron's is like, grief is all about love. Yeah. If we didn't love, we wouldn't grieve. No. And I don't think any of us would, um, being created by a loving creator, that's so much of who we are. It is. It is. And um, I'm going to tell you that the book is going to be supportive as you're grieving, but it's also, I think, a wonderful tool, a wonderful gift for someone you know who's grieving. Um, so many times we don't know what to say or how to say it or worried that we're going to say the wrong thing to our friend or our loved one who's grieving, um, and we don't don't know what to do. And there isn't a, a one-way, easy, here, say this and things will get better, because they probably won't. But if you care about somebody, you can find tools that can support, and in a kind way, say, hey, would you consider looking at this book? And I think another way is um, when I've been um, – working with people in the grief process, two things always come out. Um, when they talk about they appreciate being with others who get grief because they know they're not alone. Um, people appreciate not feeling alone. And so I would say that offer them the book, but also say, why don't we, each read this a chapter and then get back together mm -hmm. and talk about what meant something to you in the chapter or what question do you have about the chapter or what made you angry in this chapter. But to stay with them, it's important to stay with people it, in the absolutely. process of grief. So rather than just giving them the book, say, let's, are you open to at least taking one chapter together? Which is a great tool to make that plan so that you can check in with your person exactly. who's grieving. And it gives you a reason to get back together and chat um, so that they don't feel like they're imposing on you or you don't feel like you're imposing. Because we get in this weird thing about grief that if I talk about the, their loved one or if I check in on them that I'm imposing on what they're doing. But I don't know anybody who's come to our any of our programs at Faith and Grief who said, I would really, sometimes they say, I just need to be alone and you need to listen to that. But none of them have said, I don't want anybody to talk to me or anyone to mention my loved one's name. name. All of them want them. All, oh, you do. You want to hear that name. Um, and I share in my book that even 
each of us have different names, whether it's through different professions where we work or different times in our life and nicknames and things like that. So even knowing all those are important. Yeah. And it's such a gift to be able to share the story behind those names. Yeah. And the stories that you know about the loved one who's died, that that person, your friend, your family person, they may not know that story because that person was a different person for you. Well, and I remember my husband, like, we had, he had some friends and they called him Brownie. And I was like, what? I mean, you know, I knew Robert, I knew Bob, I knew Gunner. I mean, you know, all these things. And they had a dog um, that adored Bob and Bob wasn't as equally fond of the dog, (laughs) but the dog's name was Brownie. So they just gave Bob the dog's name and called him that for years. And so it was always, it brought back a visual of Bob sitting on the couch and Brownie jumping in his lap and not getting off. So the names do, they bring back fond memories. Yeah. And there's always a good story. Yeah. And we have to share the stories. And that's what um, some of the spiritual practice allow us to recall the stories, to remember our loved ones, um, and hopefully write some of that down. Um, I hear it over and over again uh, in our groups and in our workshops that some people have had the privilege of gathering their stories. They've written some of them down, but most of them haven't. And coming to uh, reading this book, uh, coming to one of our programs, hopefully can give them that gift too. Oh, sure. And, and journaling it. Cause you think you're going to remember. Yeah. And, um, we, we just don't, we don't have that capacity to remember stories from no, so until, many years ago. Until, um, you know, we're in the grocery store in a peanut butter aisle and we remember how much our loved one loved peanut butter and we have a grief burst. And then suddenly it's like, oh, and I remember the story and I remember the story and they all come flooding back. Yeah. Um, and we need to have a way to, uh, work out some of that, um, write those things down. You know, just, it's interesting when you listened about the, or mentioned the grief burst and I was with some close friends the other day and we're all widows. And so we were talking about the grief burst and one woman, um, in a different topic just died laughing. She just broke out in laughter and she said, well, I guess that's a laughter burst. Ah. And I said, you know, I'd never have heard of that. We always talk about grief bursts, but often grace comes in laughter bursts. And it's what such a release of tension that we hold in grief and um, such a joy. So I said, I'm going to remember that. You can coin that phrase. Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> might have to give her some uh, trademark rights because yeah. now I'm going to use it. I know. Well. It's great. Yeah. Well, you mentioned a minute ago about sharing this book with someone and walking with them as they read it. But you're doing some upcoming events uh, for the book, uh, both uh, all online. Right. Uh, yeah. I am. I, I'm starting a spiritual practice group. Um, the first one will be Tuesday evening, May 9th at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And in that hour-long session... Individuals, participants will learn about a spiritual practice. They'll actually have time to practice it. They'll write a reflection about what they experienced in that, and then they'll share that. So the hour will be, um, it will be scheduled. It will be full of great meaning. And I trust that it's going to connect people and give them opportunities to find measures of strength 
Yeah, and we'll have uh, links to uh, registration for that from our website, uh, both the Faith and Grief and Fran's website, uh, franTiltonShelton.com. Um, so uh, there's upcoming events um, on, yeah. on that. So it'll be in different libraries, bookstores, cross conferences, things like that. So uh, it's it's always just a great um, honor for me to receive an invitation, and I want to share what I've experienced. But as you can tell, hopefully from this podcast, share what I learn yeah. from people in the process of grief and their own questions. Yeah. And you can, uh, first thing is you need to buy the book. So you can go to Amazon, of course, but you can also go to Anybound or one of your local bookstores. And Tara Bang here in Dallas is holding copies for us. And Logos. And Logos, yeah. <laughs> and um, so you can find that online. And um, and then you can sign up uh, for the Spiritual Practices Evenings. Um, Fran, it's been delightful as usual. Thank um, you. I'm it's always so a joy. excited for the new book, and I'm so excited for um, the support that it's going to offer um, so many people. I am too. Thanks. We hope this episode of the podcast offered you some comfort and hope. Would you like to support us? Go to faithandgrief.org slash give and offer a donation for our next episode and become a podcast producer. Thanks for joining us here on the Faith and Grief podcast. We make this possible. Thanks for joining us here on the Faith and Grief podcast. Your support makes this service available to all who are grieving. If you'd like to support the Faith and Grief podcast, go to faithandgrief.org slash give and offer a donation for our next episode.